Chapter 10, Judge. I was looking for my next ace or JJ or even more miraculously, Mr. Wright. It was 2018. I'd been divorced four years and had four amazing lovers. And the two not so good ones made up for that disappointment by being amazing men who deeply enhanced my life. As I reminisce, I wrote this poem in homage to the lovemaking that I experienced that was now just the stuff of my wet dreams. Marathoner. Can I drive you wild before we intertwine? Can I make you moan, call my name, lose your mind? Maybe add in a massage, give some head, 69. And when you penetrate, hold it there for a sec. Hear me gasp, kiss me deep, let your dick stroke my clit. Slow stroke me like a violin, play my body like the sax. Feel me wrap my legs around the middle of your back. Our tempos mesh, I grind on you, you slap my ass, resume. Flip you over, it's my turn, reverse cowgirl ensues. You bite your lip and match my thrust. I take my time, I lick, I suck, head thrown back, I savor grind, I revel in your feel. Coming isn't next, let's see what else reveals. Maybe take me from the side, or doggy style might do. I want every muscle worked as I release stress through you. I've lost count of positions. The clock is out of mine. With your stamina and mine, we capture the divine. Oh God, oh God, oh God. So good, how could we quit? Want to savor every second you slide between my lips. So sensual, so mesmerized, problems cease to exist. We're in a fuckation off on a sensual trip. You may pull my hair or choke me. I might scratch or bite, it's true. We both can be wildcats unleashed, but we can be gentle too. I ride on waves of pleasure, my body humming like a song, and we just keep going as the hours tick along. I'm insatiable, you're ravenous, but eventually we're filled. Another marathon is ending. We feel sated and fulfilled. Our legs weak, we must lie still till we have to rise and clean. Three hours? Uh Uh-uh. More like 13. Back to the dating apps I went, and the first one out the gate was date 47. Six foot six. The tallest guy I ever dated. Handsome, intelligent, articulate, sexy, a good kisser, I discovered he was a good cook on our second date when he invited me over and made dinner. Then he proceeded to turn on the real housewives of somewhere. I hated shows like that and had told him so. With cable, DVDs, regular TV, and I don't know, actual live company in your apartment? I couldn't believe he picked reality TV of the lowest sort. I left. Date 48. Sling Blade. When we talked on the phone, the conversation was fine, but in person he repeated himself and made "Uh uh-huh sounds, just like on the movie Sling Blade. At first, I thought he was joking and asked why he was doing that. He proceeded to respond, doing what? It was hard to ignore and harder not to laugh. I succeeded in subduing my chuckles, but felt no chemistry to pursue another date. Now that you're a hundred something pages into this book and I'm on date 47, some men may be complaining that these guys I stopped seeing seem like good guys. Every few weeks, some guy on Facebook complains about how he's been put in the friend zone or women only want thugs. Here are my thoughts on that. A grown man needs some tools beside the one he was born with between his legs. Conversation, 
his touch, his eyes, and his kiss to begin with. If he doesn't give the appearance of having those four, most women will friend zone him or dismiss him altogether. Tool one, the conversation, is where date 48 lost me. Can you hold a conversation on more than one topic? Sex questions don't count. Are you a good listener? Does she feel valued because you ask about her, not her height, her bra size, her choice of underwear? Does the interaction leave her feeling comfortable or dirty? Conversation rules the nation. Date 49. The heavy. I really liked this guy. He was tall, stocky, solid, but felt cuddly when I hugged him. We had a blast on our date. Then he pawed me. I wasn't ready. His hands like two skin-covered sledgehammers reached for me, groped, jerked. My face fell. He pulled back, pulling his hands into himself as if he were Edward Scissorhands and he had just nicked me. I know, he said. You don't want me to touch you. I did. I really did. I was fantasizing about it, in fact. Can you be gentler? No, I can't. It's been a problem for years. It's always a problem. Some men have clammy hands. I have these paws. And they just aren't gentle at all. We talked about other things and talked for weeks after, but he never touched me again. And I was sad. He lacked tool two, touch. A man should be able to stir and maintain desire by knowing how to caress, knead, massage, stroke, and maneuver a woman's body. He should be able to show his ability to touch her from the first date, brushing her hand, putting his hand behind her, and ushering her to the table, kissing her hand, giving her a hug, holding her hand. He should pay attention to her body language, touch her like she's precious, but not fragile. Touch her like just the act itself of running his fingers across her skin as a privilege. And she should do the same for him. That touch alone should be like silk and satin, like the man or woman is writing their names on every inch. No expanse should be neglected, overlooked, or unexplored. The touch itself should be erotic, seductive, purposeful, and unhurried. The kiss and the touch together, ah, the sweetest bliss. Date 50. The nose nose impressed me. Nice dresser, smell great, great manner, sophisticated, worldly, accomplished. But every time my eyes would linger on him and he should have returned the eye contact, he didn't. I'd catch him stealing glances at me. He flirted. He was very consistent in pursuing me, but the lack of eye contact made me feel he was self-conscious about his appearance or just hiding something. It destroyed the whole vibe. Some may say, he was just not that into you. Possible. Though, he pursued me enough to get the date and was footing the bill, but of course he could have had ulterior motives, so maybe that's true. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm a woman, and we are often our own worst critics. As a preteen, I cringed when peers nicknamed me Dolly Parton too. I wanted to be willowy, not robust, dainty, not curvaceous, and when athleticism ruled my days, my thigh muscles bulged as I strutted. Leg pressing a whole stack leaves its mark. When I was a size 8, 145 pounder who worked out 2 to 4 hours a day as a college athlete and had 15% body fat, which my trainer told me could cause me to stop having periods, 
I still thought my 25-inch waist should be smaller. Having kids had put several extra pounds on my frame, but since it gave me double D breasts, wider hips, and a rounder backside, I was actually getting much more attention than when I looked like a female bodybuilder. I've told you I had no confidence in 2014. I felt unattractive. I'd been even heavier during my marriage. I'd hired a nutritionist the year I got divorced and worked really hard to change my eating habits. But four years into my single life, I was finally embracing the skin I was in. It was okay that I was voluptuous. After twins and heartbreak, pounds gained and lost, I think I'm finally at peace. Done apologizing for my full lips, my thick waist, my 38 double D, size 18 sounds nice and right and round. Size 8 was fabulous. And sizes 12, 14, and 16 I enjoyed. But I revel in my hips and dips, the swell of my cleavage. My voluptuous body matches my mind, my mouth, my sex drive. Take me or leave me. Those that can handle me 100 proof deserve me. And those that can't weren't for me to begin with. I am Zoftig, buxom, with a zest for life and love, primal, regal, unrestrained. I am desire personified. So when a man dates me, to me, it means he accepts and is attracted to me. BBW, full-figured, thick, or even fat, if that's what he sees. Acceptance is empowering. It gives serenity. And it also gives me the right to want him to look at me and use tool three, his eyes. The eyes have it. They're the window to the soul. If your eyes don't show your desire, then you're a fucking liar. Don't waste my time. Looking at a woman as you pleasure her should be a thrill, a turn-on, should heighten the mood and intensify the arousal. The light should be dim, not off. You should want to see the results of your handiwork because you should know before you step into the room what the result will be. Total satisfaction. Seduction. Intense orgasmic pleasure beyond words. If you don't want to see that, hmm, I guess you don't have the tools to make it happen. The same goes for the woman. If she's not looking at you, she's probably thinking about someone else. Ratchet. Date 51. The braggart. He took me to my favorite restaurant and seduced me with his words. I sat across from him wet, needy, ready for the date to end and the lovemaking to begin. In my head, we were half undressed. He walked me to my car where he proceeded to give me the second worst kiss ever. Tool four, his kiss. The kiss at the end of a first date can be a deal breaker for me. It's like a movie trailer. It sets the mood and whets the appetite for the main event. The man who pulls me to him and slowly, sensually captures my tongue and caresses my lips paints an image of seduction and finesse to come, total mastery in the art of lovemaking. He knows he wants me, and he makes me feel his desire down to the depths of my soul. That kiss can leave me breathless, coming back for seconds or thirds or an all-nighter. The quick peck, automatic friend zone. The hesitant, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, kisser, just a noise. The I don't do that PDA stuff, non-kisser, is too boring and straight-laced to handle me. I mentioned early on, one thing that drew me to my previous lovers was that they could handle me. I didn't have a bad attitude or childish behavior. I didn't throw temper tantrums. I just had a high sex drive. High enough that it was problematic for my second husband, the Muse, and Harley. 
So having a man that could handle it was one of my top priorities, and kissing was one sign of that. Not a flawless sign, but one that didn't require too much intimacy. Before I continue with date 52, let me say, as human beings, we love categories. Fruit or vegetable, liquid or solid, pure or sinful, Christian or heathen, H2O can appear as liquid, solid, or gas. But nature and life are not usually that simple. So if it bothers you that the last chapter was high vibrational and spiritual and this one is sensual, I guess I should say that I had long left the dogma that stated there should be a division, that I couldn't have both or all. In this book, you might see spirituality alongside politics and sensuality and black consciousness and environmentalism and intellectualism. Realize that these beliefs are all me, no boxes, fluidity. Dates 52 to 57 all lack tool five, balance. Date 52. Musclehead Barbie was gorgeous, truly beautiful, and you know how much I like handsome men. He should have been a shoe-in, but he droned on about sports incessantly. I don't think he took a breath the whole hour. He certainly didn't eat. Although I played volleyball and basketball and had no problem watching a game with the man I was dating, talking about sports on a date was something I had never done and never want to do again. Date 53. Airport was a pilot. You would think he would have the most amazing stories, be personable, charming. Nope. He just complained and complained and complained. I didn't know one person could have that many gripes. It was truly mind boggling. I began to wonder if there was anything on earth that didn't annoy him. Date 54. Tiny Toons blathered on about, you guessed it, cartoons, anime, manga, Comic-Con, superheroes. Date 55. The Interrupter. Well, the name says it all. He interrupted me so much that I stopped talking all together. Date 56. Memorex repeated everything I said. Everything repeated. I said it. He said it. Sometimes rephrased. It wasn't a conversation. It was an echo. Date 57. The two-minute Mexican was the last time I dated outside my race. Not because of him. Just because I realized that I was just more attracted to black men. Give me a minute. I'll come back to him. A date is a chance to get to know the person and let them get to know you. Mutuality, reciprocity, talking, and listening. Not monopolizing the conversation. Not interrogating the person. Displaying your personality while getting to know theirs. Balance. Balance also means to me not being too aggressive or too passive. Not being too forward or too reserved. It's not easy, but it's probably a major reason there aren't second dates. So the first five dates above lack balance in the conversational topics as well as listening and talking. The two-minute Mexican had a different problem. We sat, ordered drinks. His first statement was, I bet you taste good. G-O-I-D good. He looked down as if trying to see my crotch through the table. I looked at him, stunned for two reasons. I'd never had a man talk about how I taste in public on a first date 
before we even had water on the table, and he couldn't spell a four-letter word. He waited. I responded with, I don't really consider sex till about two dates in, when I see compatibility, chemistry, and feel like the interaction has the potential to be long-lasting. He said, that's too long. Two dates could mean we've known each other for weeks or even a month. Emotional attachment may have occurred. Then if the sex is whack, it's harder to walk away. I replied, you know, most women get proposition or get dick pics into their inboxes. You were talking to me about sex. You don't know my last name. If I have kids, my personality, what I do for a living, you know nothing about me. He replied, I'm offended you're comparing me to disrespectful men. You have some nerve. I was just being honest. Women say they want honesty, but then they can't handle it. We have nothing else to talk about. And he left. We never spoke again. I ordered, ate. The waiter asked what happened. I told him, shrugged, and he walked off shaking his head, passing the story on to the other waitstaff who all came over one by one and asked, did that really happen? Yes. The manager came over and gave me a free dessert. I laughed and thanked him. He said, damn, I'm glad I'm married. Dating sucks. I sat there enjoying my meal and my dessert, a deliciously creamy cheesecake amongst new allies who could not believe this dating scenario. It was a great night. I posted the whole thing on social media just as I told it here and asked, number one, why do some men think they are so different when they're essentially doing the same thing? Number two, why do some men feel being honest should somehow substitute for properly approaching a woman? Number three, why are some men so easily offended when their inappropriate behavior is mentioned? The comments were interesting. Food for thought. Balance also means realizing the world is not filled with people exactly like you. I love hearing new perspectives, but others find any alternative viewpoint maddening. I believe variety is the spice of life. Date 58. The adversary was very attracted to me. When he wasn't arguing with me, that was all he would talk about. I think he thought the purpose of the date was to ask my opinion on topics, and when he did not agree, spend an inordinate amount of time trying to convince me I was wrong. I never have understood why it's so important to others what strangers believe, but it was tedious and turned intellectual stimulation into a silent stalemate. I wasn't giving him any more fodder for the fire he wanted to set under my beliefs. Dates 59 to 63 lacked balance and common sense. Date 59, Mr. My Kids. His kids lived in England. I learned everything about them. I kept asking about him, but every answer somehow started with my daughter, son, and kids. I love my kids too, but I wasn't trying to date or get to know his kids. To me, it was absolutely inappropriate. Date 60. The Jamaican sex fiend was fascinated by the freedom in other countries regarding sex. He talked about sexual restaurants and clubs and wanted to know if I would go or had gone. He'd been a swinger, but said he was out of the lifestyle. But I didn't believe him. Date 61. 
Mr. $100,000 houses are crap. He was a traveling salesman looking for someone to wine and dine when he came to town. She had to be classy, well put together, etc. He was impressed with me, but was more interested in my resume than me as a person. It was the first time I got a glimpse of what that must feel like for a man. How much do you make? How big is your house? How much did it cost? How old is your car? I couldn't figure out for the life of me why a successful man would even care. Finally, it dawned on me that he measured a person's worth in dollar signs. Date 62, the erotic amateur poet. He was going to be late for our first date and sent me a poem that I could read while I waited. I wished he hadn't. I write erotic poetry. By this time, you've read some of mine, but first off, I didn't know that's what he was sending. Secondly, I'd never read anything so graphic in my life. And not graphic in a good way. I lost my appetite. It was an overshare of titanic magnitude. And just like the ship, my interest sunk to the bottom of an icy ocean. Date 63. The cop. This was the one and only time I went out with a cop. In conversation, the ones I'd met online were super aggressive, angry, bitter, judgmental. One wrong word set them completely the fuck off. This guy seemed sweet. We met at Starbucks. He was cute, charming. Then when he walked me to my car, he tried to put his hand down my shirt. I pulled away immediately and he said, I know you're a teacher and you're probably not into public displays of affection. You don't want a student, another teacher, or a parent to see you disheveled. But I'm a cop. No one's going to say anything to you. It was such a weird statement. Number one, I could be a private person regardless of my job. Number two, his job didn't change my standards. Number three, the entitlement. Jeez, what else did he feel he should get away with because he was a cop? The question was more than a little scary, and I definitely didn't want to know the answer. Date 64 to 70. The next seven I desired, every one of them. It was strange to get to this point where the universe seemed to be sending me what I wanted. Kinda, sorta, not exactly. Date 64, Tennessee. I met on Tango. He was just in town for the weekend and invited me out to Sam's boat to hang with him and his fraternity brothers as they watch an MMA fight. He was handsome, a great date, fun, and gave me a fabulous goodnight kiss at my car. He came to one of my shows years later, and to this day, we are still Facebook friends, and he is still fun. I would have loved to get to know him better, but he lives in Tennessee, and neither one of us believes in long-distance relationships. Date 65. Quint was a workaholic on a five-year plan, preparing for retirement. I admired his drive, his work ethic, and loved his sex appeal, but he wasn't making time for anything but the Benjamins. Date 66. Byrne was looking for a wife from back home, Nigeria. A traditional woman, a childbearer, a cook, a maid, someone he could love for sure, but someone who would never consider working outside the home. I had never met anyone so traditional. The man took the idea of being the sole provider seriously. We went out just to talk, to hang, to watch movies. He had one type of woman in mind, and I was definitely 
not her. Date 67. The bearded one actually met me at McDonald's with his son in tow. I shit you not. We had a great talk G-rated over fries, shakes, and burgers as his son ran in and out of the indoor playground. We are still Facebook friends to this day. Date 68. Yuck mouth broke my heart a little. My friend in New Jersey had fallen off the map and yuck mouth had appeared in my inbox. Brains, wit, banter, uh, banter. That poem is coming up soon. I swear if I could fall in love through texts and calls, YM would have had me hook, line, and sinker. He was actually my first connect after Ace left, so we had been talking a long time, months before we actually met. I actually didn't even want to meet him. I liked our conversations so much, I was scared to lose them if the date tanked. He alternated residences, here and Dallas, and was only here a few weeks every three or four months. Not the kind of relationship I wanted. But finally the day arrived when we would meet, and I saw him across the parking lot of Hooters. Yes, Hooters, shaking my damn head. It was an omen. He smiled, revealing rows of black, tobacco-stained teeth. I instantly was transported back to my childhood, staring at actors on Little House on the Prairie. I stopped mid-step. As a kid, I thought that was makeup. As an adult, I never thought about it, never seen it. I had imagined kissing this man. Now I couldn't imagine hugging him. How was it possible to have teeth like that? I entered the restaurant but couldn't stay long. Now it was my eyes, tool three, that were looking anywhere but into his eyes, his face, his mouth. Like with Mr. Clean and the musky mentalist, I made an excuse and left. Tool six, hygiene. I shouldn't have to elaborate. Date 69, the pint-sized pimp. I'm 5'6", so a man's height has never mattered to me. I like the my height or taller generally, and PSP was eye to eye with me. We met on Tango also. He followed me forever, liking my posts, commenting, flirting, never hitting my inbox. So finally, I jumped in his. And he asked me to a sports bar. We had had some steamy conversations. And when I arrived, he was already at the bar drinking, looking as at home as a man could be. I grabbed the bar stool next to him and he complimented me, leaning over casually, whispering in my ear. Damn, girl, you look good. Smell good, too. He had all the tools and tool seven, the voice. In the movie Dune, they talk about the voice. This mesmerizing collection of vocals that hypnotize a listener. Whatever is stated is done immediately. No question. Total compliance like magic. I wrote in my journal, sound. Sound is the closest thing to God. In the beginning, God said, so the man I love will have a voice that calls to me, not an Urkel Pee Wee Herman voice, but a manly timber that beckons to my lobes, that loosens up my loins. So whether he's profound, profane, or purely playful, I will hear and listen. Seductive, melodic, masculine, confident, you will call to me and I will answer. Acknowledge you, honor you. You are the first voice I want to hear each morning, the last one I want to hear each night. His voice made me look into his eyes. Mistake, 
They were sexy for no goddamn reason. And then he ran a finger along my chin and my lips. I saw myself in my head in his lap kissing him. I didn't. I wanted to. I couldn't tell you what we talked about. He smelled too good. Sounded too good. His words were like a fragrant miasma around my head making me high. I wanted him. We walked outside hours later. It seemed like minutes. And he pulled me to him, gifting me the kiss I'd been pleading for subconsciously all night. It was all I wanted, but not nearly enough. Then he said, you know I want you, but I don't do relationships. Too much trouble. I just do one night stands. Are you down? Huh? One night? Oh, hell no. I could tell I would want more than one night. I wanted every night, every morning, every afternoon, and maybe a few quickies in between. The lump in my throat was so big, I shook my head. He whispered in my ear, the offer will always stand. I don't see myself settling down till my kids are grown. Just, just let me know. He kissed my neck and slowly walked away, his hand holding mine till the fingers lightly let go at the last minute. I walked back to my car, wet, throbbing, miserable, wanting to change my mind, but knowing that would be utter stupidity. Date 70. Accent. This Jamaican should have had the voice. He had the accent for it. But the closest thing to his personality was a terrier, jumping, twisting, biting at your heels for attention. His voice matched. We ended up meeting at the same sports bar, though I actually didn't realize it till I drove up and remembered PSP. My body started reacting to the memories. I literally walked into the bar planning to get a drink to calm myself down. Accent was there, eager, friendly. We talked. It was nice, boring. I glanced around the room, taking in the slot machines, the pool table, the group of men standing there, one intently looking at me. When he caught my eye, he smiled. P.S.P. Accent noticed me get quiet. You know him? Yes, I'm just going to say hi. I'll be right back. Some may hate me for that, but I couldn't help myself. I walked over, PSP slid an arm around me, whispered in my ear. Fancy meeting you here. Were you looking for me? No. It's all right if you were. I don't mind competition. If I wanted you, I'd have you. Cocky ass. Nope, just truthful. He can't handle you. I can't. And I know you better. The offer still stands. I don't do one night stands. I got to get back. Okay, I'll hit you up online. Have fun. He smiled, a knowing smile, knowing Accent didn't have my attention or my desire or a chance at getting or keeping either one. I walked away, almost determined to prove PSP wrong, throwing myself into the date with even more attention, more encouragement, hoping Accent could compete. As Accent and I walked outside, I couldn't help but remember the last time I had stood on this sidewalk. My lips embraced by PSPs, our tongues dancing, his breath like a whisper on my neck. Accent had his own plans and whipped out his phone. I thought he would take a picture of us, surprising, but not completely unprecedented. But instead, he opened a file in his gallery, hundreds of pictures of him, his anatomy. I turned and looked at him. What the fuck? You don't like them? You sit around taking pictures of yourself? Yeah, why not? I like what I see. That's weird. Not any weirder than women. Taking pictures of their hair. 
their nails, their toes, and I wear it all. It's not something you show someone you just met. Good night. He spent days calling and texting me. I didn't respond. PSP called and texted me too. I did respond, but I never went out with him again. Date 71. Milton. There are some men that I hate putting on this list, not because they were bad dates, just the opposite. They were life changers. They changed the way I saw myself, the world, my future. JJ, the Muse, Harley, and Milton. Milton was a musician. Music is magic, pure and simple magic. It's a spell that captures minds, hearts, and souls and transforms them, uplifts them. Musicians are alchemists who turn base metals into gold. So I should not have been surprised he had such a deep impact on me, but today I still am. We talked for a long time. No plans to meet, both busy but enjoying the banter. One night he called me from the studio. You popped up on my page, a poem. He said, you wrote this? Yes, for real. I mean, really, truly, like from scratch, you wrote this. I laughed, almost a little offended. Though what did that mean? I stated more insistently, yes. Negro, don't ask me again. Whoa, I mean, damn, it's good. I don't even read poetry. I, I never read poetry. I thought the whole idea was hella boring, but I like this a lot. Would you read it to me? Your voice, these words, shit. Banter. Engage me in conversation. Witty repartee. Draw me in with witticism flirting so subtly. Vulgarity unnecessary. Put your mind on view. Intelligence and character should be a part of you. Talk of only work in sports with me tends to bore. I need mental stimulation. Dig deeper. Give me more. Talk on politics, religion, arts. Debate me casually. Leave me with some food for thought till the next time we meet. Banter. It's so cool. So lost with texting on the rise, but it's step one, gate one, lock one to get between my thighs. And the man who has it grows taller in my eyes. Engaged in it, I blush and grin. It raises him above other men. That mouthpiece, his rap can snag my soul, especially if he's masculine and bold. Sexy too, won't hurt a bit. But average men grow more who spit some knowledge, wisdom, experience. How sexy is some common sense? I'll end saying men without banter bore. I check out and head for the door. They may be nice, but I won't see if they cannot communicate maturely. Three things are pivotal, not my rules. Sex, money, and communication. Tools. Lack one, you suffer. Two, you're dead. Three, become a monk instead. But with all three, you earn a prize. Respect, attraction, optimize. So dust off your voice box and begin. Communicate and slide within. I started reading the poem, thinking how I felt when I wrote it. The longing, the anticipation and excitement when banter appeared, the total rapture, when it connected a young bachelor and me in its erotic dance, and the words slid off my lips, warm butter, a caress. An invitation, seductive, perfectly pronounced, playful and poignant, capturing the highs and lows of 70 dates, two failed marriages, and even my boyfriends in high school and college. 
For a minute, every love lost cycle was relived and transmitted through the phone that bonded Milton and me together. I finished. There was silence. A long enough pause for me to flash back to my first recitation at the Sugar Hill Lounge. The muse is my cheerleader. The flurry of publications that followed. I hadn't read to anyone since then. I had never been asked to. And then what seemed like the loudest noise I had ever heard broke through my reverie. Whoops and whistles and where can I hear you perform? When is your next show erupted? A cacophony of voices. He'd had me on speakerphone to a whole audience I didn't even know existed. They like your poem written. They love it. Perform. You should be performing. Make people come pay to see you. I would pay you. You've got a radio show. The last season is done now, but I would pay you $1,000 to take a 15-minute segment on our show and perform four to five poems. They'd have to be memorized and practice. He got silent a moment. You hear them? Still clapping. They get everybody they know to tune in, and those people would tell people to tune in. We already have a huge audience, but you would get us to tap into a whole new demographic. And who is doing spoken word on the radio? Nobody. Untap market girl, you are a gold mine. Stop giving your shit away for free. Make them line up at the door for hours to see you. Now I was the one in silence. A thousand dollars? Radio? My own show? People lined up for hours? I was relieved when he said they had to get back to recording because I had no response to any of that. I was a poet, not a spoken word artist. Spoken word artists intimidated the shit out of me. But they thought I was. My mom had said I could be. That I'd memorize Shakespeare, memorize all kinds of lines, Wolf, Emerson, Dickinson, Hughes, Angelou. Why in the world would I think I couldn't memorize something from my own mind and heart? Because of that night, I practiced for my first spoken word performance, expecting him, them to be in attendance. They weren't. But a mind once stretched never goes back to his old dimensions again. And I kept performing and kept inviting them. They never came. Milton and I met three times and then lost touch. But that night he changed my vision of myself, of my future. And I went on to make a lot more than $1,000 for performing poetry. Not in one show, but in two months I could make that. I had been on one path. And suddenly, dramatically was shown a drastically different path because he had tool eight, vision. Many people ignore those signs, those doors of opportunity. Still, for some reason, I never have. And because of that, I am the person I am today. Besides expanding my vision, I realized my time with Milton had given me one more thing, a demonstration of the law of giving. When I was with the muse, I had been the visionary for him, he wanted to make more money, and we brainstormed and came up with cybersecurity. And he had made excuses of how he wasn't good with computers, just like me and my fears of memorizing. And I had reminded him he was an expert photographer, but hadn't always been. I gave him my son's old computer, and we celebrated every little gain together. His income increased by 25000 through that certification. Some had tempted me to see him dumping me as him using me to get a leg up, improve his life, and move on, a pattern my mom had experienced when her fiancé broke up with her. But I saw our relationship. I saw me giving to him as a blessing, not a curse. Now someone had been sent by karma, by the law of giving and receiving, to expand my vision of myself. That seed sown in the muse 
bore fruit in laughs and lyrics, the show I filed my DBA for a month after this conversation with Milton. Lesson 10. Find out what's in his toolbox. It may be just the right tool for the job.